Transmitter device activated. Coordinates set for Earth 2. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast where we journey through the original DC multiverse from Flash of Two Worlds through to Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'm David Steele. And I'm Peter Watson. And today we're going to be looking at Flash issue 123, The Flash of Two Worlds. Probably one of the most reprinted comics of all time. And a hugely, hugely, hugely important story because otherwise we wouldn't have a podcast really without it. (laughs) It's more important for other reasons. This is the story that brings back the original Flash, Jay Garrick, one of the, the most prominent and successful DC Comics characters originally published in the Golden Age, but brings him back in at the Silver Age. So let's launch right into the comic. It's written by Gardner Fox, who we talked about on the last, well, first podcast. Uh, Pencils by Cameron Infantino and inked by Joe Kiella. Flash 123, its cover is one of the most homaged, probably, in in comics history. We're we're going to post on our various social medias some of the homage covers. The cover has a sort of a builder working on a site. There's a girder falling down towards him, and the the chap is shouting flash help me and on the left hand of the cover we have the Barry Allen flash and he's saying I'm coming and on the other side you've got Jay Garrick also saying he's coming so, so, there, we are. so there we go also they, they, they imagined it not just in comics but they also did that in the Flash TV series that's right when Jay Garrick first appears where yep. it's like a wall and they both can like run round from either side yep. and just a fantastic kind of uh, nod to this classic cover yeah and the cover legend reads featuring Flash of Two Worlds a spectacular story that's sure to become a classic. And no truer words have been no spoken. No truer words have spoken. That's it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beauty. Ten cents, cover date of September 1961. So the last time Jay would have been published would have been at the, with the Justice Society mm. in 1951. Yeah, right? so ten years later. So yeah. Jay's been gone for a good long time. And it's interesting because DC Comics at the moment, as we speak, are in the process of bringing Jay back again with his, some of his Justice Society colleagues in the, the pages of Justice League. And it's been a good, almost as you know, they were rebooted during the the DC Comics New Fifty Two period. But yeah. this is this is the this is a about eight or nine years since Jay last properly appeared, yeah, isn't true. it? Mm-hmm. So it's it's roughly it's, Jay, it's yeah. almost roughly about the length of time now since he was last published as it had been. So it's weird to think that it really is, and it's it's kind of it doesn't it doesn't in some ways maybe it's just because we're getting old, but eight or nine years goes like that nowadays. So there was only a gap of four or five years at the most, yeah, between Jay Garrick stopping and Barry Allen starting again. Yeah. And characters nowadays do get rebooted quite often, but that's... I mean, it's, it's top to, it was top to tail, wasn't it? You know, you get characters now, they might have a new writer take over that might, you know, change some of the stories and all yeah. that, some of the background and all that, but this is a complete reboot. So yeah. um, it's very, very significant that for the first time these two versions of the character are meeting up. So we're going to now, we're now going to start reading through the story. So the splash page is Jay Garrick looking at uh, Barry Allen, both in their Flash costumes, saying, how can you possibly claim to be the Flash... When I am the Flash and have been for more than 20 years. And you've got lots of caption boxes, all with those fantastic hands, those amazing Infantino hands coming out of them yep, uh, that so he always loved to do. And one of the, the first of the boxes says, how many Flashes are there? Is Barry Allen the real Flash or is Jay Garrick? Does the Flash live in Central City or in Keystone City? We should be doing this in the voice of uh, Bill Dozier from the Batman TV series. <laughs> <laughs> only one thing seems certain. No, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Both live on the planet Earth, and only by travelling to the other Earth can the Flash discover his alter ego and become the Flash of two, two worlds. worlds. So the um the story starts, and Barry Allen is he's going to meet his girlfriend Iris. And he's late, as usual. Barry's the fastest man alive, but one of his most endearing characteristics was that he was really bad at time management and would turn up late, etc. So Barry's going to meet Iris. She's doing a fundraiser for the Picture News Orphan Fun Group at the um, the Central City Community Centre. 
Which begs the question, how many orphans? Barry has to like entertain this whole community centre filled with orphans. That's so I mean, horrible, I mean, you think of thought. orphanages as like, you know, you probably think of them being like, that's, that's a wartime. So I mean, this is this is our this is, weird. This is us Sorry. showing our, our lack of knowledge of American sort of social history and implications as to why you know there was so many kids without parents. But basically, Barry arrives at the community centre, um, in his bow tie and his little hat and his his check jacket, looking very very smart. And Iris is on the stage, and she's like, "Oh, this is just too much. I'll never have anything to do with him again." So Barry very quickly gets back in Iris's good books by sort of explaining that he was busy at police headquarters. For Barry is a forensic scientist. Indeed. We haven't really mentioned that, actually, have we? Um, I don't think in, in what we've been talking about. So Barry claims that he was, he was late for work, but he can get... Um, he, he promises to sort of get back in Iris's good books by saying he'll give the Flash a call and the Flash will come along and entertain the, the kids. Magi- the magician has cancelled. Yes. That's the worst point. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there is no entertainment for these poor, poor, poor orphans. I wonder if maybe they just all get shipped to Central City from all over America. Maybe it's maybe it could it's be because hard. you know this magician is so good. Yeah, but now he's cancelled. That's yeah. the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, so um, the cancelled magician. So ba- Barry nips outside and changes into his costume, and Iris makes the announcement on the stage that because of the magician, um, she's arranged for the Flash to talk and entertain them. And Flash comes in, all the orphans are going, Way, look at him go, this whole sad, sad crowd of orphans. Those are, those you can are really, see all the wee tiny heads. Those are the... really, really, I'm going to get really pretentious here. There's a really interesting sort of, I'll, we'll, we'll stick it on the social medias, panel three um, on page three of the story. Um, Barry and Iris on the stage and all these floating disembodied heads. It's like one of the sort of representations of hell from Dante's Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're just sort of floating there. And, um, and Iris, is a, Iris is a neck that can rival E.T. in yes. that panel as well. Yeah. So yeah, so Barry starts entertaining the kids. He's playing tennis with himself back and forth over the net. And he says he's the first man in history who can win and lose the same game. Uh, then he tries a different trick. He tries the old Indian rope trick. The Indian rope trick. In India, Fakir's perform. That reminds me of that episode of Tad's Army. Anyway, <laughs> in India, Fakir's perform a rope trick using hypnosis. I'm to go. I'm going to go them one better. Watch carefully now. So Barry, his hand rotating so swiftly that it cannot it cannot be seen, keeps the rope upright in the air. Barry says, "Not only am I going to climb the rope and disappear, but the rope itself will vanish too." The enthralled audience watches the Flash climb up the rope, and when he reaches the top, pop! There he's, go. he's gone. Barry vanishes. The rope vanishes, and the kids are like, "Wow, that's amazing!" They're like, you know. Then takes time, a, time passes, yeah. and then they say, why doesn't the Flash come back? Where is he, Miss West? It isn't like the Flash to disappear and not return. Things yeah. like this. And, um, what could have happened to him? So then we get a lovely panel, you know, it's a little caption that says, what has happened to the Scarlet Speedster? By vibrating his... This, and this is the key. This is the key, right? Mm-hmm. By vibrating his body and twirling the rope at super speed, he disappeared from sight, but where to? One split second after he vanished from the stage, Flash reappears on a lonely road, staring about in astonishment. He's on the outskirts of the city, so he runs back into what he thinks is Central City, but he doesn't see any of the usual landmarks. Yeah, Barry thinks to himself, I don't see the Memorial Tower or the sports stadium. I just hope I haven't gone through some sort of time warp and it'll enter Central City before they were built. So Barry's worried about going back in time and maybe that's why the buildings aren't there. And so he goes to the community centre and finds it dark and empty. Where is everybody, Barry thinks to himself. This is the community building, but it looks dusty, long unused. So he decides to go by the picture news building and find Iris. But yep. the picture news building isn't there. Instead, it's the Keystone City Herald. And he's got, what, what days has ever gone into the past? But he gets a newspaper yep. and finds it is 
the present, and the yeah. present being the 14th of June, 1961. So there we are. So yes, the date is correct. So he hasn't gone to the past or into the future. So then he asks... The, the news vendor. Yes. Yeah. Pardon me, sir. Where's Keystone City? Are you kidding? It's right here. I'm not going to do the voice. Yes. Uh, and what are you taking that get up? So Barry says, oh, I'm sorry, I've got no time to answer questions. I've just had a brainstorm. Keystone City? Could it be that what I'm thinking is true? He used to live there. So a telephone booth, he looks up the address of G. Garrick, who lives at 5252 78th Street. Right. 52 is quite relevant oh, to, to DC Comics fans, because there are presently 52 parallel Earths and, in yeah. the multiverse. And there was, of course, the whole new 52 reboot and yeah. the very successful 52, uh, 52 weekly, weekly series, series about 10, 12 years ago. Hmm, interesting. Mm, do you know, I wonder, is that a complete coincidence? Or coincidence or merely chance. Yeah, interesting. Yes. So, uh, Barry Barry bombs along to 78th Street, gets back out of his uniform, gets back into his own clothes, you know, and he goes up to the door of number 5252, rings on the bell, and... He does the most creepy, stalkery thing in the world. Yeah, because the gentleman who answers the door <laughs> is Jay Garrick, and Barry says, May I see you in private, please? I share a secret, <laughs> known only to you and your girlfriend, Joan Williams. And Jay says, Well, come in, this is the former Joan Williams. Now, Mrs. Jay Garrick, what deep secret are you talking about? Right, and Barry says, um, Before you ask me any questions, let me tell you what I know about you. So then Barry goes on to recap the origin of, of Jay Garrick as the, the original of the Golden Age Flash. He was a student at Midwestern University who was working in an experiment in the college laboratory. He accidentally knocked over a retort filled with hard water. He inhaled the fumes, lay unconscious all night, breathing in the gases, and his professor found him. He was pretty far gone. But then after spending some weeks in hospital recovering, he emerged in perfect health to become the Flash. He fought crime and criminals and overcame injustice. As the caption says, as he concludes his narrative, Barry sees a strange look pass between Jay Garrick and his wife. How could he possibly know all that? It's, I must admit, it's a very creepy, stalkery thing to do. Yeah, I mean, imagine like someone, <laughs> admittedly a very polite young man who's very well dressed, rocks up at your house and knows your intimate secrets that you've never told anyone, knows your wife's name, etc. It would be quite disturbing, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would. Fortunately, Barry uh, allays Jay's fears by saying, I'm a Flash too, and he activates his ring, his costume pops out, and he pops the costume on. Here's the, here's the killer. Um, you see, says Barry to Jay, on my earth, I am also the Flash, just as you are on yours. And Jay says... Two Earths? What are you talking about? And Barry goes into details of what happened. And this is actual dialogue. Very important here. Yep. The way I see it, I vibrated so fast, I tore a gap in the vibratory shield separating our worlds. You know, two objects can occupy the same space and time if they vibrate at different speeds. My theory is both Earths were created at the same time in two quite similar universes. They vibrate differently, which keeps them apart. Life, customs, even languages evolved on your Earth almost exactly as they did in my Earth. Destiny must have decreed there'd be a flash on each Earth. And then Barry goes into uh, really his origin to Jay. Yep, a little recap. I'm Barry Allen, I'm a police scientist, live in Central City, blah, blah, blah. He talks about the night he was working and the chemical stash in his laboratory was struck by lightning, bathing Barry in the chemicals, dazed. I, Barry says, I crouched amid the wreckage of those vials and containers dripping from the strange bath I'd been compelled to take. And in the, in the flashback, we have Barry saying, Lightning certainly is unpredictable. It knocked me over, but didn't scratch the cabinet. Broke the only certain chemical. Ah, that's interesting. Broke only certain chemicals ah. and bathed me in them. That's that's a detail, isn't it? Nice. Anyway, so so then we have Barry. He continues to recount his, his origin to Jay, how he works out that he's got speed and how he became the Flash. And Barry points out, indeed, reading of your Flash adventures inspired me to assume the secret identity of the Flash. And Jay wondered... 
How could you ever read about me? Well, Barry goes on to explain, you were once well known in my world as a fictional character appearing in a magazine called Flash Comics. When I was a youngster, you were my favourite hero. A writer named Gardner Fox wrote about your adventures, which he claimed came to him in dreams. Obviously, when Fox was asleep, his mind was tuned in to your vibratory earth. That explains how he dreamed up the Flash magazine that was discontinued in 1949. And Jay says, amazing, that's the very year that I retired. Now, we know that that's not the case. That's when his own comic finished. The Flash continued to appear with the Justice Society in All-Star Comics. Jake's on to talk about how he, he didn't have the same sort of ingenious way of getting into his costume as Barry has with his with his ring that he keeps his, his uniform sort of stored in. Jay says, it's odd that you should appear just now, Barry, when I've been thinking of coming out of retirement. I've kept myself in good shape, so there'll be no trouble getting back into my outfit. I'm still as fast as ever, although I no longer have my former endurance. Now to the reason I've been making a comeback, and Jay starts talking about how um, some unusual thefts had occurred in broad daylight at the Keystone City Bank, um, money vanishing from a in front of a, a staff member. And then there's one at a jeweller's salon when an odd blackness descended over everything. And there's a caption of some, <laughs> a totally black panel that says, with a voice saying, um, I lit a match and I'm holding it in front of me. Yeah, I can't see the flame. And someone else saying, what's wrong? And when the, the pal lifted, the most valuable gems in the store were missing. We've been robbed, sound the alarm. And the third crime was, was committed when strange, eerie music was heard. And seconds afterwards, an armoured bank car crashed into a stone wall. And then we have one of the drivers of the van saying, oh, while we were unconscious in the crash, someone broke into the car and, and looted it. So Jay is saying to Barry how he's com- the police are completely baffled and, and he'd been thinking about getting involved as a flash to give them a hand. And Barry offers his to assist them. Yep. Yes, and a lovely handshake. Glad to have you, Flash, says Jay. Whoever these crooks are, they're in for double flash trouble. Yep, and um, we skip a couple of pages past some nice vintage adverts for the... Secret Origins 80-page giant and a, a giant Superman annual to chapter two of The Flash of Two Worlds. And the scene shifts from the two flashes to the villains of this story. We have, again, amazing Infantino art. You've got the Shades, the Thinker, and the Fiddler no, all we should, in their headquarters. We should probably point out the Fiddler because he plays a violin, like a fiddle. Mm-hmm. He So he is... Yes, he is one who... The violinist. Yes, he's as the fiddler. The Shade's probably more well-known to readers of the uh, uh, Starman comic. Yeah, it's... it's, His um, character was completely fleshed out, but here he's quite caricaturish. It's it's, it's very... This is is one of the interesting things when you look back. When there are stories have been told subsequently to the ones we're reading at the moment that have really fleshed out characters, it's fascinating going back and seeing... Mm -hmm. You know what they were like initially. There because... wasn't a huge amount of personality given to characters in the Golden Age, both yeah. heroes and villains. Yeah, especially not the villains. Yeah. So it is quite interesting to see where things have been developed subsequently, yeah. and that's stuff we will talk Absolutely. about. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, sh- the shades, the, the shade in particular. We, I mean, we probably we should probably talk about it now a little bit. There was a, a comic that ran um, from nineteen ninety four till I think two thousand and one, two thousand and two, called Starman. Basically, the shade was one of the major lead, sort of supporting characters. Yeah. And we learned about his origin. We learned about his sort of history sort of throughout the DC universe and he became really, really fleshed out and mm. was probably after the main character of Starman, that version of Starman, was probably the most char- the most popular character. Even, yeah, true. Um, had his own spin-off miniseries and then later... Had a couple of spin-off yeah, series, yeah. A full 12-issue 12 ed- 12 series mm-hmm. a good long time after the, the Starman series had actually finished. Yeah. It's very, very, very interesting sort of seeing him as he was in 1961. He is. It's shown as very, very kind of gaunt, thin, very creepy, big black tall, uh, top hat uh, with his ebony cane. And yes, yeah, the thinker is just kind of a, a bald Terry Thomas-like chap with like a colander with wires coming out of it from his head, perhaps made by the three dimwits. <laughs> uh, who knows, which makes him super intelligent yeah. and, can, and can control 
anything within 50 yards of them. Yeah, it says here on, but with this thinking cap, I can, I, which can cause anything I think of to happen within 50 yards of me. Wow. So the trick is to stay 51 yards away yeah, from that's it. it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, know, know your, your limits. And then um, the fiddler's sort of saying here, um, more than a dozen years have passed since we saw the flash. Now that I've improved my fiddle, I'll make myself rich and overcome flash at the same time. While in jail, we heard nothing about him, but I hope now he hears about us. And yes, the shades also improved his ebony cane, uh, which makes absolute darkness. So yes, they're getting ready to take on the Flash. This, and again, this it's interesting that they're showing here that the, the shades cane is mm. the sole sort of source of his power. Yeah. Huh? And that, that's mm. something else that was kind of expanded upon, built upon, you know, it's it's referred enlarged to, upon. It's actually referred to quite a few times in the Flash subsequently. Uh, right. And like the subsequent appearances, mm-hmm. at least twice, mm-hmm. Kane plays a big role. Yeah. Um, we'll think about 151 and also uh-huh. 298 and 299. Yeah, but the um, interesting thing at this point is the Shades Kane, is it, that's it. That's his, he's sort of powerless without it, essentially, really, mm-hmm. isn't he? Yep. Whereas in the, the expanded version that we got used to in the 90s and the noughties, the character is, you know, it's almost like the darkness is part of him. So again, this is this is interesting, just seeing the contrast. So anyway, the villains are plotting. Yes, the thinker's off to steal the priceless Neptune Cup from millionaire Edward Jarvis. The thinker knows that, you know, the fiddler points out to him that he'd look a bit silly going out with his thinking cap on. So being a thinker, he uses his thinking cap so that people don't see the thinking cap. They see a very stylish Carmine Infantino shaded fedora. There we are. And, and, yeah. and then the fiddler's off to the Keystone Museum to rob some European crown jewels that are on display yeah, it's there. Yeah, it's interesting. The European crown jewels. Yeah. Mm. Probably the king and queen of Europe. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this is, um, this is obviously Innes on um, Earth 2. Brexit never happened and the exact opposite of Brexit happened and, you there know, and, and everything. And then the shades off to the waterfront where there's a collection of historical curios with <laughs> millions of dollars are lying waiting for him. That's, that's so vague, isn't it's it? It's very, very yeah, it's vague. Great. Could so, be anything. So then it cuts back to Barry and Jay and Jay's getting changed he's into his uniform. Not as spectacular as he's basically taking his shirt off and he's got his flash uniform underneath, which is quite odd because the last time we saw it, it was hanging in the cupboard. So the lads decide to sort of um, split up so they can go and find out what's going on. And we cut back to the thinker. I gained my reputation by thinking out my crimes to the minutest detail. I even planned how to use those watchdogs to help me overcome the flash. So yes, the thinker projects an image of the flash, Jay, because that's the only one he knows about, yep. to these dogs at the estate and says, when and if this man appears, call out to him. Tell him what's happening inside the house, which is very interesting. So then he goes into the house using his mental powers. It's interesting that proceeding to the front doors of the Jarvis mansion and he's met by the butler. I wonder if the butler is Jarvis. <laughs> Maybe on Earth to uh, Jarvis is is not the butler. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Avengers so, reference there. From... Yep, yeah. So yes, he's there to steal the Neptune Cup, and that's what uh, Jarvis is offering him there. He's even unlocked the cabinet for him. Yeah. But then Jay pops along, and what happens? He... Flash, wait, says one of the dogs. <laughs> this is true. The thinker is inside the house stealing the Neptune Cup, and Jay's like, huh? Am I hearing things? Those dogs talking? Especially about the thinker? Which begs the question, Is are these dogs within 50 yards of the thinker? Interesting. Because uh, if not, then that just kind of su- supposes that dogs can talk Do- and they just dogs can't can, There you go. Enough to, dogs can talk. They just don't really feel like it yeah. most of the time. So um, Jay's, Jay vibrates through the wall because he runs so quickly and he's the last time I, I thought I heard of the thinker he was in jail so he runs up behind the thinker and he's kind of playing little tricks on Jay by kind of popping about and you know creating little false images of him yep 
and Jay's running around trying to catch all these images of the thinker, but he just keeps on missing him. And of course, he is a bit out of shape, so he's exhausted and goes, just too much for me. Puff, puff, puff. Yep. There we are. So, so um, And it turns out the real thinker had been hiding in the cupboards, or rather, he says here, he makes his real appearance from this closet. The thinker says, I've decided to let you live so you can furnish me with more amusement at a later date. And then the thinker has the Neptune cup and he bids farewell. And Jay's like, no, you won't get away, thinker. I've got to summon up what's left of my strength to overtake him. And the thinker basically slams the door in his face. But Jay has taken by surprise, no chance to vibrate through, and he blacks out. But do you notice that the thinker is actually escaping into the closet yes. that he was hiding from? Yeah. So I'm guessing he teleports out of the closet, either that or he it, just, it's a cunning ruse. He was just slamming the door in Jay's face, escape. knocking him out, and then coming back out. But it's interesting that Jay has time to think that um, the thinker is taken by surprise and he's no chance to vibrate through and to report to us that he's blacking out. Um, he's time to do all that, but not time to, to vibrate through the wall. Well, he is quite exhausted. Yeah. Um, so we then yeah we then cut to Barry, who's down at the waterfront where a private yacht has docked, but a strange black cloud envelops the ship. And inside the captain's cabin, we see the Shades, who has special contact lenses on that enable him to see in deep darkness. I mean, that's yeah. reading that now, knowing the version of the Shade that we're used to, that's that's fascinating. Maybe his powers weren't as fully developed then. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Mm. But uh, of course, we're, we're, I, mean, this, I mean, this is the thing, we're talking about the Shade enough too. Mm. We're not talking about the post-crisis, post-zero hour version of the Shade that, yes. that was used in Starman. So, mm. anyway, so... So yes, uh, we find out it's historical curios valued at over five million dollars in this yacht. Yeah, but Barry's made his way onto the to the boat, um, and he's stumbling around helplessly, blinded by the pitch black fog. I can't keep groping like this, he says. I've got to get rid of this darkness, so I'll know what's going on. So he does his favourite trick of spinning around, going round and round, faster and faster, creating a whirlwind of darkness. It's projected into yeah, the air. He, you see, Barry's been doing that, and everyone's sort of stunned. You know, the shade makes his getaway in a boat. In a speedboat. I mean, must say that the artwork here is gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, it's I mean, uh, in fact, just fantastic. I mean, there's a real sort of depth to the the artwork of Barry arriving at the the, the waterfront, and then the perspective of looking down on the boat as Barry sends the the cloud, and then the long shot of the cloud above the boat and the the shade mm-hmm. speeding away in his speedboat. It's absolutely gorgeous, and there's a lovely touch here because Barry spots him and says, "Oh, that looks like a villain I once read about in old Flash comics. It's the shades. Amazing. Of course, he recognises yeah. the shades." Of course. Uh, so Byrus is classic running on water yep, uh, and, to chase after. And the um, and the shade, of course, affirms that yes, he's the shade. And he says the shade is saying that Barry looks different to how he used to. How come? And then Barry says, You'll find out after I catch you. And the, the shade, my first blackout trick didn't stop the flash, but from yeah, the back of the speedboat, mm-hmm. the shade sent you know, it's like kind of like tendrils of blackness that creep out from his cane. And um But it's and not just Barry running towards it. It's also mixed with oil, making the water so slippery that Barry slips. And falls, and the shade yep. gets away. Yep. So then we then cut to um sometime later, Barry's made his way back to Jay's house, and they've both sat there, and they're like, you know, they're, they're sort of commiserating that Jay was defeated by the thinker, and Barry failed to catch the shade. Um, and Jay's sort of saying, these arch-villains have come up with improved techniques. It won't be as easy to stop them as I thought. And Barry says, well, why don't we work together as a team? We ought to be twice as effective that way. So together, the new Flash and the old Flash streak out to take up challenges of the super criminals uniting as a duo for the very first time yes so they made a little, little caption box which says but unknown to the flash pair a startling surprise awaits them when they come to grips with the last of the villainous trio the fiddler then we have a little caption box with a little pointing hand that says the whirlwind action starts on the fourth page following so 
Following um, indeed the bat advert for the Batman Annual for the 1001 Secrets of Batman and Robin for an advert for 150 Civil War soldiers for a dollar forty nine, an advert for some stamps and the letters page for this issue, we then open chapter three of Flash of Two Worlds and the fiddler in his big sort of car that looks like a giant violin. That's got to be a real detriment to a life of crime. If you have to drive about in a massive, massive uh, fiddle car, yeah, it's not very subtle. You imagine, no. like you know, that's that's probably that's bespoke. It certainly is. That's custom. That's yes. you know, that's um West End Motors. Or yeah, whatever you, you, done that. yeah, yeah. You've you've had he's had he's had to obviously kind of lay out. You know, just, my violin. Yeah. So the fiddler, and my violin will cause distractions to occur, like that shower of broken windows, which causes people to scramble out of the way, so no one will pay me any attention. So what we have is the fiddler standing on the back of his giant car, his car shaped like a giant fiddle. And he's playing away, and there are big, huge, discordant notes sort of floating all around him. And we see the glass falling out of a skyscraper and people running from underneath. Shortly, though, as the two flashes burst onto the scene, so there's a nice parallel of Barry and Jay running with one of those amazing sort of Carmen Infantino sort of cityscapes behind them. Um, And a voice is shouting, Help, help me! And Jay says, That construction work up ahead, someone's in trouble! And in the classic reproduction of the front cover, you've got... The wall, you've got the girder, you've got the, the man with the girder about to fall on him, and Barry and Jay both going, I'm coming, either side of the wall, and so, racing to save him. Yep, and help me, Flash, save me, I'm coming, I'm coming. And you, now, pause the podcast, folks, and you decide, who do you think gets there first? Is it Barry? Is it Jay? We'll play some music in the meantime. <laughs> do, 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 do. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, person who got there first was... Well, it's Jay Garrick. It's Jay Garrick. It's Jay Garrick. Whoosh. Moving at super speed, one flash grips the fallen man. Got you, says Jay. And we flip the page. And Barry, by creating a powerful updraft, by doing the whole twirling his hand round and round, Mm -hmm. sends the girdle to rise back up into the air to the position that it fell from. That's quite handy. Yep. Useful. Interesting, actually, because these panels actually give you a bit more of a perspective on what's going on. On the cover, it looks like the wall's been extended. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the panel, it looks like the guy's actually some distance away from... A building? Yeah. Anyway, so the builder sort of says, the girder fell when strange music, like like from a violin, was heard. I sprained my ankle and I ran to get out of its way. I couldn't move. And Jason says, strange violin music. Sounds like my old foe, the fiddler. His music can do mighty strange tricks. Come on, Flash. He can't be far away. And funnily enough, he's not. Uh, we cut to the Keystone City Museum and the fiddler's car is parked outside. So, the Scarlet <laughs> Speedsters both run in. It's interesting because I think it's Barry saying there's his fiddle car. Nobody'd notice it there. The museum's such an out-of-the-way place. He must be inside. Hmm. Not a lot of foot traffic in the Keystone City Museum. Yeah, it must be. Maybe it's one of those private museums or maybe they just had to get a bus or something. Yeah, an out-of-town Maybe Maybe they're they're talking about shutting the museum down and cutting its funding because no one ever goes to see it. (laughs) Keystone City Museum, number one in the list of the DC Universe's most pointless museums. There we are. um, Maybe they should uh, take all the Earth One orphans there uh, on a a day trip. They might enjoy that. And leave them. Maybe not leave them, but yeah. But I think they might enjoy that. Yes. So, vibrating in unison, the Scarlet Speedsters catapult forward. Um, and they're now inside the museum, and Barry's saying, "What's he up to, playing his violin?" And Jay says, "He's just not fiddling around here for the love of it. The love of it, that's for sure." We then briefly cut back to the Crooks headquarters, where the Thinker and Shade are chatting, comparing images about the two flashes that they fought. The Shade's saying, "What about that new costume that you know he was wearing?" And the Thinker's going, "Um, different costume. It's the same one." Hang on, says the, yes. says the shade. There must Crucially. be two flashes. Oh no, 
let's team up and help the fiddler fight him, which is kind of unusual to see the villains like care for each other. There's, yeah, because this the, um, kind of story. I love the fact that it's the shade that draws the conclusion that there are two flashes. Yeah, that's tremendous. We'll probably end up talking about the start, the James Robinson Starman series, quite a lot. I think as we go on. Because that, that, in some of the stories, did a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that built up, mm-hmm. that played on the relationship that Jay and the, the Shade built up together. You know, yeah, that's true. Almost sort of like, you know, frenemies mm. at that point. So, um, Thinker sticks his helmet back on, yeah. and the Shade, looking very gaunt and teethy. Um, fantastic, yeah. You know, he says, right, you know, we're, hopefully we won't be too late to help the Fiddler. So they, they, they arrive at the Keystone City Museum and... But the fiddler is everything under control. He's mm-hmm. fiddling away, making the two flashes dance to his tune like puppets. Yep. A nice panel at the bottom of the fiddler and the discordant notes and, and the shade and the thinker sort of like, you know, watching Jay and Barry as if they're being moved about on strings with the notes sort of floating above them. And then over the page and the shade and the, and the fiddler and the thinker are all sort of stood. And this is great because the shade proclaims, by Erebus, they're not only dancing, they're actually stealing the jewels for you. And I've done a quick Google here on Erebus. It's basically in Greek mythology. It says the god of darkness. Um, oh, it makes also, sense. Erebus, ancient Greek meaning deep darkness, shadow, or covered. Erebus was often conceived as a primordial deity representing the personification of darkness. Makes sense the shade to reference them there. Absolutely. So the, the thinker is that yes, you two flashes. Never mind those little individual gems. Just bring me the big jeweled treasures, the crowns and the and the scepters. So the fiddler then says, "You see, they're powerless to resist my musical commands." And then he realises, I've got enough of the prized jewels. We've topped both flashes of power. To make certain they don't bother us, I'll freeze them solid for 24 hours. So yes, he plays a few more notes. Yep. And just as they're about to make their getaway, the flashes come back to life. Yep, hold on, you crooks. You aren't, says Barry, you aren't going anywhere, says Jay. And the fiddler says, they're free. I better give them a heavier dose. But and it's too point, late. Yeah, as, the, as Jay runs past the, the shade, sends them whirling and spinning like a top. You're really in the dark now, shade. You're spinning so fast you can't see a thing. Flash runs up to the fiddler and uh, uses his fiddle <laughs> to make, smashes it over his hands to make musical handcuffs. Yep. And then, working as one, four hands disassemble the thinking cap before the thinker can gather his wits for a single thought. And then, cuts to minutes later, the three arch criminals are being booked at the local police station. I still don't understand how you overcame my fiddle, says the fiddler. And Jay says, like all crooks, you made a mistake, fiddler. We were forced to obey you, but you neglected to order us not to try and escape. And Barry says, when we picked up those tiny gems, we placed them in our ears rather than discard them when you said bring you larger jewels. What horrible thought. Don't try that at home, yes. kids. Don't, yes. If, if you have any small diamonds or gemstones, they are not for your ear don't, consumption. Don't put them in your ears. Um, and then Jay says, though we could still hear you, the gems distorted the pitch of your music just enough so that it no longer had any, had any effects on us. That's quite interesting, it is. So, so, yeah. So then Barry takes Jay back to the spot outside Keystone City where he vibrated through the first time yep. and says it's his time to return to his own uh, home. And he hopes you can visit him someday. Yep, and Jay says, maybe I will, Barry, now that I've come out of retirement, I think I'll go on being the Flash. And the old Flash watches the new Flash and the old and new sort of, they're both given in very commas there just yeah. for emphasis, which is quite nice. The old Flash watches the new Flash vibrate faster and faster until he blows out of sight. And then Jay says, so that's how he does it. I must remember so I can visit his earth sometime. And of course, Barry reappears on the empty stage of the community centre. Yep. All those orphans yep. have all gone Iris home. and the kids have gone no wonder. I was on that earth, other earth for several hours. I better look at blah, blah, blah. And so Barry has a little bomb about and he sees that the Memorial Tower is there in the sports stadium when he realises that he's home and the picture news building is up ahead. 
and he relates his story to Iris and says, that's all you can tell me, Flash? You took off in a most unusual case. I'm sure our readers would like to hear what happened. And Barry says, Iris, honestly, if they read it in your newspaper, they'd say it was pure fiction. Yep. And then the story closes with the Flash having a little think to himself, the, on- <laughs> the only ones who'd actually really believe it would be the readers of Flash comics. That's why I'm going to look up Gardner Fox, who wrote the original Flash stories, and tell it to him. He can write the whole thing up in a comic book. And that's one of the things that will be a recurring theme uh, in the DC multiverse is the fact that people who are fictional in one universe are real in another. And vice versa. Yeah. And, <laughs> or something yeah. other. Uh-huh. And it's, it's very interesting, actually, um, Barry talks about looking up Gardner Fox because it, in our next instalment, we'll be, we'll be meeting Gardner Fox. Yes. Uh-huh. So, very exciting. So, Pizzi, Flash 1, 2, 3. Yeah. Well, it's quite... A by the numbers Gardner Fox story, to be honest. Yeah. When you look at it, it's like hero meets villain, gets defeated by villain, other hero meets villain, gets defeated by villain, they team up, they defeat the villains. It's it's classic Gardner Fox story structure. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's still hugely entertaining. It's really important for everything that followed. It's what everything's built on, and it's just so good. It's just so good to actually age Jay up. Yeah. A bit oh. and show him as you know, a bit more seasons coming out of retirement almost yeah this is 1961 yeah you know <laughs> yeah I and mean, it's, it's interesting that they've, they've given jay a happy ending mm-hmm. you know for, you know because it's obviously the fact that they used his wife mm-hmm. and barry you know knew who she was so i mean yeah. that's the sort of thing that you know fans of the old flash from when he was first around really appreciate yeah. the thing that i just love reading it reading it back is just carmine's artwork is just oh, gorgeous it's, it's ridiculously good it's beautiful i mean the fit they all the characters all look so individual the facial expressions of I them mean, as well the, as i said that the shade the is first time terrifying. you see the shades he's got this really weird thin man look to him yep it's he's so, all hunched up so and you know he, i bet he creaks when he stands up you know oh, you sort can of, imagine it it's if, so good i mean this 1961 when was the chitty chitty bang bang movie couldn't tell you. No, he looks quite like the the child character. <laughs> if you're you know if you're familiar with the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang movie, yeah. he looks is he has a bit of an that aura sort of about him. I mean, can you just imagine how exciting this would have been at the time for yeah. for your old school fans who are seeing Jay again, again who'd maybe read him the first time and mm. maybe were really upset or gutted when his when his his comic was cancelled and then when the just and, and and suddenly he's back. Yeah, exciting. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying. Th- I'm trying to think of anything that compares immediately, and I can't think. Sadly, my own comic book experience, reading, you know, reading well, experience. Going into one of our other fandoms, imagine like uh, you saw the three Doctors from Doctor Who for the first time. Of course, and you saw Patrick Troughton come back to yeah. join John Pertwee I mean, and then yeah. Billy Hartnell appearing. Yeah, in I mean, it's, it's it's very similar. It's become a really, really iconic part of the continuity because everything that Peter and I are going to be talking about in this podcast really comes from this story. Yeah. This is the absolute root and solid of it. More so than Winky Blinky and Noddy. Yeah. And so much is laid out about the the Earth's existing, being created simultaneously, existing simultaneously, Mm -hmm. having to vibrate between them to to travel between them to get back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's all sort of mapped out and a lot of of these sort of, um, I suppose, ideas is the word, you know, are revisited and reused. Yeah. The legacy of this story is... The entire DC multiverse. Absolutely, and this is only one of the of the parallel Earths we've seen. Obviously, as I mentioned before, we have seen another universe briefly. Yeah, uh, we've touched on that in uh, the zero episode. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the start. This yep. is it's all built on from here. Yep. So um, so going forward, we're going to be covering other stories that feature the the Golden Age characters. We will be covering stories that feature other Earths because there's plenty more that are going to turn up. One of my favourite anecdotes about this story is the fact that back in the day, they used to do the covers for the comics first. Of course. Uh, and 
quite often it's always about solving a, a puzzle. That was uh, kind of like the DC hero at the time. The stories all always have to be about solving puzzles. And the whole point of Carmine Infantino drawing this cover, he came up with the concept, uh, was to create a story in such a way that Julie Schwartz and whichever writer he decided to work with could not possibly come up with a story to go along with it. And obviously Carmine did draw Jay back in the Golden Age. And yes, he created this this uh, cover, took it to Julie. Julie loved it. Gardner Fox loved it. And uh, they put the, the story together and history was made. I can imagine having this cover presented and then making it someone that was impersonating the Flash or someone who was a fan of the Flash yeah. who mm-hmm. had read the comics as well mm-hmm. and maybe just dressed up as him. But you know, they, yeah, they, went for the, they went for the real thing and they, they brought... They brought Jay back. Because they established um, in Showcase 4 that Barry, is a, he's one of us, he's a comic book geek. Yeah. Uh, yeah and he was reading yeah. The Flash yeah. in and Showcase 4. And of course, the, um, the other thing that, that I don't think maybe gets mentioned very often, the Barry Allen Flash first appeared in four issues of DC's sort of tryout comic, which is called Showcase. So he appeared in issue four and then a few other ones. And then he got his own comic because mm-hmm. it was doing so well. And Barry's comic, it didn't start with number one. It started with issue 105, yeah. which followed on the numbering from when Jay's comic, Flash Comics, had finished. Yes. So that that was quite interesting. Because back then, uh, they thought that uh, a number one issue would put people off because it's not a tried and true... Exactly. uh, ...kind of established brand. Uh, Whereas nowadays, nowadays everything has to have a number one on it, else it won't sell. Yeah, I mean, there was a... um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. We'll probably think of them and come back to them and Mm. give you some ideas. Or maybe if you can think of any, let us know. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure at least I've seen it reported there's a few instances... Where they didn't put the numbers on yeah, the first that's ones true. and twos, just to sort true, of, yes, uh-huh. you know, so that people wouldn't be put off. Yep, that's very true. Um, but yeah, as Pete says, it's that you got a new number one for a lot of series almost every ten minutes every nowadays. Week. I don't think uh, many comics reach issue one hundred and twenty exactly. these days. Yeah, or, or get the chance to sort of yeah. um, to be re- reacquainted or rebooted. But let's take a quick look at some of the reader reaction to this issue. So yep. we'll move on to the letters page of Flash One Two Six. So yes, Flash Grams uh, starts off with Dear Editor, although I must confess I felt you were merely blowing your own horn by stating that Flash of Two Worlds was sure to become a classic. I am now so convinced of this that I am buying a couple of extra issues, something I have never done before. A bit of early back issue speculation there. Indeed, yes. And he goes on to say, A large part of my fondness for this story, frankly, is nostalgia, but nostalgia is one of those two-edged swords. I was receptive to the idea of reviving the old Flash, but would have been extremely critical of any ill treatment of my old friend. Best of all, you aged Jay Garrick. Let him marry and had the uncommon good sense to realise that while his speed is still pretty much what it was, his endurance would not be. This touch of humanity made the story much better. That's from Donald Thompson there, and uh, we note from Julie Schwartz, editor's note here, we know Don Thompson as one of Comicdom's toughest critics, and his rave letter has got us in such a tizzy, we're awarding him the original... Flash of Two Worlds cover. Now that's that is interesting because that cover still exists. It does still exist. And I saw it when I was in London last year at the big big DC exhibition that was at the O2. So I, I will post the photograph mm-hmm. that I took of um of the original art of Flash One Two Three on onto our social medias. And we can have a look at that there. Um This is back at a time where if you wrote letters into comics they would sometimes send you original art pages or covers yep. or, in some cases, scripts. Uh, yep. Yeah, can you imagine how much 
original art from then has been lost, like you know, yeah. coloured in. I know. Uh, it's it's hard, or you know, yeah. used as like you know, firelighters or it's it's frightening. Yeah. Um, so um, the next letter that we'll, we'll read is from Bill Sarrell from Boston. Dear editor, flash of two worlds. It says in the cover, a spectacular story that's sure to become a classic. You're wrong there for the simple reason that Flash of Two Worlds is a spectacular story that already is a classic. In fact, it's the best Flash story ever published, bar none. So as he goes on in some praise, um, again talking about the, the little touches of Jay's hair being made to grey that Joe and Jane got married. Yeah, I'm going to read the last paragraph in full, actually. What makes this story really great, though, is Gardner Fox's brilliant and original plot. The alternate worlds concept, while certainly familiar to science fiction, has not been employed very much in comic book plots. Gardner Fox has succeeded admirably in using the alternate world's idea to resolve the apparent conflict between the old and new Flash series and in creating an immensely enjoyable story at the same time. Well, funnily enough, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about the alternate worlds because yep. that's like our whole raison yep. d'etre, so to speak. So there's, um, there's a few more letters, including um, someone who um, accuses them of publishing, you know, only positive letters, and this guy ends up being rewarded. The original art of chapter one of the, Flash and New World. The full chapter. Oh my goodness, can you um, imagine? I know, right, so there's another, another letter from Greg Dezeal, I think, from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, but if, if, sorry, Greg, if you're listening, if I mispronounced your <laughs> name. Um, dear editor, I've got to admit, you've got it over most comics in the sense of having the zaniest stories. Do people still say zany? I don't think they, they do. do. Your writers and artists also have it over most others for the knack of mingling the modern and fast-moving Flash with those C-Razy villains. For reference, I go back to page 12 of Flash of the Two Worlds. That shade really sends me. What other crook looks like a built-in coffee percolator? And as for the fiddler, he looks like he's just been given an automatic washer demonstration from the inside. I noticed something curious about the thinker. He has something coming out of his right ear. Could it be that he blows it smoke rings the hard way? I sure got a kick out of those hands introducing the story on the first page. Not only those hands, but the people's hands. Their hands seem to express their very ideas in an offbeat way. That's another thing about Flash. The offbeat look and the artwork. The people look relaxed, like themselves as they probably would look. Not like they're posing for a picture. My compliments to artist Infantino for a wonderful job. And Greg was sent chapter two of the original artwork of Flash and Two Worlds for his enthusiasm. Wow. I think so, we'll only do one more letter, I think. Uh, yep. BJ White from Columbia says, Dear Editor, thanks a million for admitting there is and has been an original Flash all these years. Ever since the new Flash came into being, I've resented the new uniform, name, etc. But now Gardner Fox has scooped the comic world in this startling reintroduction of the one and only old Flash by bringing Jay Garrick out of retirement. You have given a greater reality to the new Flash. There's only one thing that bothers me about all this. Which of these two Earths do I exist on? And the reply... How on two Earths should we know, says Julie Schwartz. Well, we will have more discussion about that coming up soon. But in the meantime, we'd love to hear what you think about Flash of Two Worlds. Please get in touch with us at the earth 2 podcast at gmail.com and we might even read your comments out on the show. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the earth 2 podcast Thanks again, folks, for listening. Um, let us know what you think of Flash 123. Um, thank you for joining us on our journey. And we'll talk to you next time on the Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. <laughs>